Hey everybody, this episode of Talkin' Pop is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episodes starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience or get more engagement, you're going to check out poddex.com. Make sure you use that special promo code TALKPOP, that's T-A-L-K-P-O-P, for 10% off your first order. Poddex are the hottest new tool for podcasters looking to have more meaningful conversations or Game Fighter podcast. Simply shuffle up the cards, ask a question, and let the content roll. Get yours today at poddex.com. Once again, that is poddex.com. And make sure to use the promo code TALKPOP, that's T-A-L-K-P-O-P, for 10% off your order. This episode is powered by Poddex. Fanboys and fangirls, of another edition of the Talking Pop Podcast. That's the podcast and all things pop culture. I'm your host, Stefan Trash, of course. Joining me is my co-host, Biko. Hey guys, um, today probably pretty much more like another news-centric podcast, pretty much like current events and stuff. Um, today, this morning, woke up and I saw somebody posting on social media that Marvel Studios has released the first teaser trailer for Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And it looks pretty good. Um, they just released a poster as well. Let me see. I know you're not a big Trader Dubico, but it, the way it looks, it looks really promising. I mean, it is a teaser. Let me see if I can pull it up here. I mean, it's starring um, Simu Liu and Aquafina's in there as well. Uh, it says that Leo will be also be Marvel Studios' first Asian actor to star in a lead role in one of the franchise's properties. This is an article from comicbook.com. And it says here, what Kevin Feige says, as every time we do a movie, we hope it's going to succeed so that we can make another movie. That's always the idea, Kevin Feige said, last year's Marvel's plans to grow more diverse. With those two films in particular, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, we want to keep showcasing heroes from the comics that represent the world that goes to go see our movies. So our intention is always continue to do that. While exciting is both these movies were such big hits, it did squash any sort of question otherwise, I hope, and I think inspires other companies around the world to do the same thing, tell different types of stories. 
And like I said, Legend of Ten Rings, if you're not familiar with the Ten Rings, it's pretty much, you know, Ten Rings, you know, Mandarin. No, it's always a matter of your factions. And the way it looks, it's pretty cool because it kind of dwells into, you know, Shang-Chi's past, like, the character's past and how his dad raised him to be, like, a warrior and stuff. And he wants to do something different and, of course, people are going after him. Because there's the power. It's almost like, kind of almost, kind of almost like the origins of Iron Fist, kind of, almost. By using your, your chi to harness that energy. So it's kind of like, almost like an inspiration for, you know... Pretty much for, you know, Iron Fist. And like I said, the way it looks, it's action-oriented. You know, like I said, it's cool that it's diverse cast. And we'll see how it looks when it comes out. It looks like it's supposed to come out September 3rd. Is there something you would like to see that in theaters, Biko? Um, I would like it, but I don't... I don't... I, I do like that they're introducing new characters because they have to. Um, given that we've closed that chapter of the first installment, I guess, of the decade for Marvel movies, but I think it's just unfortunate timing that the pandemic happened to where, um, and this is not, not saying it's going to be a saturated type of thing for Marvel, but it's just that, like, we may not see the same financial returns that we did in the past with, like, with certain Marvel properties, like, given that, like, for instance, Doctor Strange... These are characters who are not more, the most popular in the forefront of, of uh, in the, I guess, social zeitgeist, like compared to Spider-Man or Batman, or even though it's not Marvel, but for instance, in superhero characters. Um, and given, it is nice that there's going to be Asian representation with the character. Yeah, it's the first time Marvel's going to have them as a lead actor. Uh, and it's a shame that we had to wait this long for that to be the case since... Uh, a lot of movies got pushed back because of the yeah, pandemic. And, and it's funny that we keep having to say that, but, like, we've had... And this is fact, we've had Asian lead roles in, in other movies that happen to be in the action genre. And, and I think, at the end of the day, Marvel is action genre. It's, it's fantasy, but it's mainly action. And so it is cool that Marvel's stepping up and, and putting them on the forefront, uh, even with Iron Fist kind of not being taken wrongly because people didn't read the comic book so with this type of character i think we're going to run into the same issue where they're going to be a, a certain side of the line that's going to be like why do we need to throw asians on the thing and it's like well no because this is a is an asian character a asian superhero character um i think that's good that they're bringing them into the forefront for the series because it's an interesting character i just don't know a lot about them to I'm not saying it shouldn't garner a movie, well, but I don't. Yeah. I, I would. I much would have rather seen this as a series getting fleshed out, because it's just unfortunate timing for these movies to be getting coming out, because what we're gonna get one year of this one, right? And we're gonna probably say two years. Um, we're gonna get like uh, I think we can talk about that. We're also gonna get like Black Widow. It's supposed to come out this year. Spider Man. Yeah, which is Spider Man as well. Like, I mean, we do have like the shows themselves, like the Marvel Universe Cinematic Universe TV shows. Like we had WandaVision. Um, yeah. Then we got Loki coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Um, Cat, that's fine. Winter Soldier and the Falcon's gonna go to a, apparently they're going to go to a, ser- a season finale or a series finale on Friday this coming Friday. But like I said, yeah, it sucks. Like we had to wait like a year for this film, and you know, when they announced, it, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of curious. And like for people that know, I'm not you know familiar with the character. Um, I did pull up like its information from uh, Wikipedia. Of course, it's not always credited, but they got pretty much. Um, Pretty much like information about it. Um, Shang Chi also knows the Master Kung Fu and Brother Han. This is all from Wikipedia. It's a fictional superhero appearing in American comic books published by Marvel Comics. 
The character was created by writers Stephen Englehart and artist Jim Starlin, first appearing in special Marvel edition number 15, cover dated December 1973, in the Bronze Age of comic books, starring his own solo title until 1983. Chin Chi's proficient in numerous unarmed and weaponry-based wushu styles, including the use of Wen, Nunchaku, and Yan. Shang Chi was spun off of novelist Zach Roxmer's licensed property as the unknown son of fictional villain Fu Manchu. In later editions, his connection to Fu was underplayed after Marvel lost the comic book rights to the latter's character. And it says here a little bit of publication history. I'll just pretty much the character was conceived in late 1972, where I wish acquired the rights to adapt the Kung Fu television program, but were denied permission by the show's owner, Warner Communications, owner of Marvel's primary rival, DC Comics. Instead, Marvel acquired the comic book rights to Sam Roxmer's pulp. Villain Dr. Fu Manchu developed Shang Chi, a master of kung fu, who was introduced as a previously unknown son of Fu Manchu. Though an original character himself, may Shang Chi supporting characters most notably Fu Manchu, Sir Dennis Stanley Smith, Dr. James Petrie, and Fallo Sui were Marvel creations. No characters from the kung fu television series carried over into the comic series, though the character Lu Sun is an early issue bears a strong resemblance to Quang Shang Kane with the addition of a mustache. Where artist Paul Galicia's visual appearance is modeled that of Bruce Lee. And more in the history. It's a long history, but like I said, um, Shang-Chi first appeared in Special Marvel Edition number 15. Seems like Jim He appeared again in issue 16 and issue 17. The title was changed to The Hands of Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. And Mr. Marshall's craze in the United States in the 1970s, the book became very popular, serving out to issue 125, June 1983, around including four giant-sized issues and an annual. Special Collector's Edition number 175 cover title is The Savage Fist of Kung Fu. We printed stories for the Delhi Hands of Kung Fu number 1 and 2, Delhi Hands of Kung Fu Special 1, with Special Marvel Edition 13. He did several crossovers with Marvel martial artists, including White Tiger, Iron Fist, and the Daughters of Dragon, Colony Wing, and Misty Knight. He appeared regularly in the Delhi Hands of Kung Fu. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, so, like I said, um, he's been in the Marvel Universe, but... Like I said, it's um, he's been in other works. Us here, I don't, like pretty much giving you guys the whole history, but it's going to be informative, right? Got to Wikipedia. Shang Chi had two more short stories: The Master Kung Fu, Bleeding Black, One Shot, nineteen ninety, and the Max series miniseries Master Kung Fu: Hellfire Apocalypse. In two thousand two, artist Paul Gillespie on art again. The character had two more stories in the comics anthology series Marvel Comics Presents. Including one by Monarch that ran the series' first eight issues in 1988 and co starred in the Moon Knight special in 1992. 97 Star starring Shane Chi ran to Journey to Mystery number, one, number 514 by 16 and was intended to lead to a miniseries for the character in 1998. In 2017, at the 34 year gap, Shane Chi once again starred in Master of Kung Fu's 126 issues, part of the Legacy Cult relaunch, written by mixed martial artist CM Punk and illustrated by Delaware Talajic. Although spun out licensed property, Shane Chi is a Marvel own character, has been firmly established as part of the Marvel Universe. With guest appearances in numerous other styles, such as Marvel Team Up, Marvel Knights, and X Men. Most of the original licensed characters in this cast have been either phased out or renamed in the most recent series and stories. Mm. So, yeah, like I said, it depends. Like, I can see, you know, I mean, for its time when this comic series came out, you know, I mean, you had Bruce Lee with his films. Um, and like I said, Kung Fu was like the, the talked about in pretty much in television. I mean, with Bruce Lee introducing that style in shows like The Green Hornet, and then of course his films. And then of course they decided the Americans decided to do one called Kung Fu, which started David Carradine. <laughs> um, but like I said, it was the craze, you know, it was one of those, you know, culture based, but like I said, I'd never read the series, but I could tell it they had a long run, going hundred something issues. 
from 1993 for like 10 years. That's a good run. And at least the character is acknowledged in other works as well. And like I said, it it's interesting to see how this film does it. But I mean, it'll dwell... I mean, people who read the comic will probably be able to pick out some of the Easter eggs and stuff. And, of course, you know, they have to deal with modern times and stuff. But like I said, I'm really excited for the fact that, you know, the Asian community is getting well represented. At least it's about the time. You know, the time they're showing these heroes, they're never talked a lot. Because they're never talked a lot. Because, you know, when you think Marvel, you only think, like, oh, Spider-Man, X-Men, Captain America, Iron Man, the Hulk, Thor. I mean, you don't talk about Ant-Man. You know, Captain Marvel too much. You know, it's, you know, here are these other heroes, you know, mm-hmm. in their library. And because people forget, it, the Marvel Universe is a big universe. And what was it the other day? What was I watching on YouTube? Oh, they talked about, I think IGN had a little thing about how they talked about going back to when they made the Incredible Hulk-like television show. How supposedly... Universal Television had the rights to all the Marvel characters back then when you know Marvel decided to sell the, the live action rights to Universal Studios. So they had rights to everything. And suppose there was a Marvel Spider-Man live action TV show that ran for 13 episodes. And they had like the Incredible Hulk show that ran for a while as well. And of course, um, they had the Captain America TV show and they brought Thor in in the Incredible Hulk films. So they were trying to establish a Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's just, of course, you know, with ratings and stuff. Kind of drove it down, and of course, you know, it led to eventually when Marvel Entertainment decided to go bankrupt, they were selling rights to, to other studios for their characters just to make a little money. Of course, the X-Men go into Fox, Fantastic Four go into Fox as well, based on their relationship with, with, with Fox Kids and stuff, with showing their shows on their network. But like I said, this looks pretty interesting, and I like to see with the Ten Rings, you know, it's a big callback to, you know, to uh, Mandarin. So we'll see if we actually get to see a real version of the Mandarin or um, pretty much uh, we'll see how it goes. Like I said, I don't know too much about the plot. Let me see if the film has any plot to it, but I think it's just more like an origin story. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's just... It's just organization. He's drawn to the... It says, the only premise is when change he's drawn to the Kaelson Ten Rings organization. He's to go forced to confront the past that he's left behind. So we're interested to see. Like I said, we got we got our introduction to the Ten Rings in Iron Man in two thousand eight. So, okay, looks like we are gonna have the real manner in there. So the real manner will be in there. So that'll be interesting. And like I said, the cast. Look at this cast list is pretty much diamondly Asian, which is really cool. Which it should be. All right, it's really good. So you got. Like I said, you got Sinu Liu as the title character, Shang-Chi, Aquafina as Katie, Tommy, Tony Leong as Wen Wu, Fala Chen as Shine Lee, Mei Jiang as Shine Ling, Florian Motel as Razor Fist, okay. Rani Chiang as Zhang Zhan, Michelle Yeoh as Jiang Nan. Oh, wow. So this is like her second role in the Marvel Universe because it looks like she played Alita or go to the MCU film Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Hmm. Let's see, it looks like it's directed by Destin Daniel Creighton, and the script is screenplays by David Callahan. So like I said, it's coming out September 3rd, looks like it's released, but like I said, go ahead and check out the, go ahead and check out the teaser right now. Like I said, it's, they just released it today, and you can check it out on YouTube, or you can go on the Disney's um, YouTube channel as well. Check it out, or you can check out, like, you know, comic book-centric websites.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was like one of the interesting things I saw this morning. Let's see what else is going on. Oh, yeah, I don't know. If people, you know, got that Super Mario, that Super Mario, Lego Super Mario toy. The one that's like, you can like, comes with an app, you can have it play levels and stuff. Apparently, Nintendo's supposedly coming out with a Luigi set based on the latest update for the little Mario, Lego Mario toy. Because supposedly he has the point where he's looking for his brother Luigi, and I guess it's, it is supposedly Nintendo is working with Lego to develop an actual Luigi figuring. If you guys are not familiar with the Lego Mario, so Lego Super Mario Adventures is basically this is Mario toy, and you can create levels, and you get the app, it does updates, and reacts to the level. Like it reacts to the level you make, it times you and everything, you make it do obstacles and stuff. It collects coins when you make coins or makes the noises. It's supposed to be like more like an interactive toy. Or since they also came out with, you know, Mario Kart like live. Mm-hmm. And like now it looks like somebody looks like a set was leaked, so it is confirmed that Luigi will be available. It says it'll cost the same as Mario, therefore fifty nine ninety nine. And then like I said, someone revealed it on Twitter as you can see. I guess this is the the star course set for Luigi. So it looks like we are gonna have Mario and Luigi. And like I said, it's Nintendo working with, you know, Lego, just trying to expand their brand. Because the people keep forgetting, like, Nintendo, they're not just video games, but look, they're, they make products, you know. They make, they were a conglomerate. They made, like, you know, appliances. Um, you know, they had hotels. They they had toys before they got into video games. And there were, of course, they had Honda Food and Playing Cards, which I believe they still do make it. And... Honestly, once this pandemic <laughs> finally ends, it'd be nice to go go to Japan to check out Super Nintendo World because I keep seeing so many videos of it. It makes me be so jealous. <laughs> yeah. Because honestly, that's the way they made it. It's like really interactive and you get to buy the armband and it's interactive. So you get to collect like hidden things with the armbands. And they got like, you know, the shops and the rides and everything, interactive rides. They actually got a Mario cart driving course and everything so it's kind of cool i see you go watch them on youtube like so many people they like tours and stuff of it like you, you can watch the one with shigeru miyamoto he did the tour himself he was showing you know everything on there and yeah that'll be interesting like i said if you guys like legos and big fan of the mario brothers that mean you want to check out wait till that luigi set comes out looks like i said it looks like it's possibly like 60 bucks so we should to see uh What's going on today? It's Monday. Well, as of this recording, it is Monday. Um, oh, yeah. Yesterday, um, the crunch rule pointed out yesterday. And uh, if you remember growing up in the early 2000s, um, anime debuted 20, almost like 21 years ago. Yesterday, it's based on a card game, which also was a manga. And if you don't remember, though, had the English line was "It's time to duel." And I'm talking about Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters. Um, they just celebrated its 21st anniversary. Um, and of course, that became a big phenomenon. There's video games, the playing card game, because it was like they were trying to capitalize pretty much on the whole um, Pokemon trading cards phrase, basically. So, like, let me. Pull up Yu-Gi-Oh here. There we go. Trading card game. 
Well, actually, on a website, okay. Let's see if I can pull up information here. And like that, like Yu-Gi-Oh! itself, it's like, like I said, it's a trading card game. But like I said, it uh, it was like almost like the top franchise for Bandai as opposed to like how Nintendo Pokemon is for Nintendo. Um, and pretty much Konami. I was like Bandai. I said Bandai. It was Konami, actually. Um, let's see if I can pull up the trading card. Well, this is this game itself. Let me pull up the actual... Manga franchise, here we go. <laughs> no, we're talking about anime here, but like I said, it's... Like I said, it's funny how old you get when you see websites, like... Or, like, you follow, like, certain things on social media. They're like, on this day, something years ago, this happened. It's like... It's like, wow, it's crazy. Um, here we go, Yu-Gi-Oh! Alright, Yu-Gi-Oh! Also known as King of Games, Yu-Gi-Oh! Or King of Games. Um, it's a Japanese manga series. Okay, on Wikipedia. Written, written and illustrated by Kazuki Takahashi. It was serialized in Shueisha's Weekly Shonen Jump magazine between September 1996 to March of 2004. The plot follows a boy named Yugi Miyoto who solves the ancient millennium puzzle. puzzle. Yugi awakens on a gambling alter ego or spirit within its body that solves conflicts using various games. Of course, we had, um, Two anime adaptations were produced, one by Toei, which aired from April to October 1998, and are produced by NAS, an anime by Studio Gallup, titled Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters, which aired between April 2000 and September 2004. The manga series has spawned a media franchise, includes multiple spin-off manga and anime series, a trading card game, and numerous video games. Most incarnations of the franchise involved the fictional trading card game known as Duel Monsters, where each player uses cards to do each other in a block battle fantasy monsters. This forms the basis of the real-life Yu-Gi-Oh! trade card game. Yu-Gi-Oh! has become one of the most highest-grossing media franchises of all time. And there's so many spin-offs of it. And, um, like I said, right now, I don't know if, Beagle, did you ever get a chance to check out Yu-Gi-Oh! Your friends back in the day talked about it or even got into it? Because I know you were into, like, the Pokemon trading card uh, no, I would game. use. I would only use go Pokemon. I never liked Yu-Gi-Oh. I I was always around people that would like trade cards and shit or play the game at lunchtime. But I never was into that. I thought it was lame compared to the little animal things. But I I don't know. I just wasn't into it. Um, and I know people are still going crazy today that still play it and um even collect the cards and they they're going for a lot of money in these days. So like it's just, I think it got it got a, a little boost from getting that sort of uh nostalgia kick considering it was around the same time pokemon came out and and i and for what it's worth it was i think collecting it was more valuable because the cards had different aspects compared to pokemon that people were looking for and i think it was more or less limited a limited release compared to what how many like the expansion of pokemon did throughout the years and i think it was going to be very hard for it to outweigh its proper like its popularity against them but I think it helped that the show, I think, lasted a little longer and was it didn't really dive into too many movies. It was just more or less let's not let's not tarnish our product, but let's just keep building on it. And I think that's what kind of helped it gain sort of the similar popularity with even some games like League of Legends or uh, Magic: The Gathering, I think it's called, and stuff like that. But I never was really into it. I I just didn't understand it enough. No, I mean to me like. I seen people like even like going to high school like people talked about it. They 
talk about Yu-Gi-Oh and stuff. And I think because I came across it on Saturdays was because of the anime itself. But of course, you know, with the anime itself, it got brought over by four kids who I mentioned in previous episodes were pretty much kind of like the heavy localization company that pretty much butchered anime for everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because, of course, you know, if you guys are not familiar with 4Kids, definitely check out some videos. I forgot who was it. Um, I think some guy did like a two-part retrospect on the rise and fall of um, on 4Kids uh, Entertainment. It's on YouTube. Definitely check it out. There's a two-parter. This guy, I forgot his username, but definitely look it up on YouTube. He talks about, you know, the beginnings of the company and how it all started and, you know, what franchise they got, and Yu-Gi-Oh! was one of them. And, of course, like I said, basically, like, to give you a premise of the anime itself, I can read the plot that's, you know, I got from Wikipedia. Um, Yu-Gi-Oh! tells us tale of Yugi Moto, a timid young boy who loves to sort games, but is often bullied around. One day, he solved the ancient puzzle known as the Millennium Puzzle, or in Japanese, Sinin Puzzle, causing his body to play host to a mysterious spirit with the personality of a gambler. From the moment onwards, where Yugi or one of his friends is threatened by those with darkness in their hearts, this other Yugi shows them, shows himself and challenges them to a dangerous shadow games, Yami no Gemu, led games to darkness, which has revealed the true nature of someone's heart. Losers of these contests are often being subjected to a dark punishment called a penalty game. Or Batsu Gemu. Whether it can be cards, dice, or role-playing board games, he will take on challenges from anyone, anywhere. As he progresses, Yugi and his friends learn that this, as the series progresses, it, it, like I said, he goes and plays different players. And like I said, it's based on a manga, which eventually, it to the point where they decide, like Konami decided to make a train card game based on it because it was so interesting. Because it's like in those games, like those animes, like there wasn't that many like battle style because you had like Pokemon. You no know, Pokemon spun like the train card game. This was actually showing you, you know, basically the anime itself was showing you, like, how these cards were used. Because he pretty much explained it to you when the characters were using the cards. But, of course, with it being in the U.S., you know, being, like, being localized, it sucked because it's like they changed a lot of names of the characters, the American names, of course, you know, because there was some, like I said, I never watched the original until now. Crunchyroll has the original version subtitled, which I like, and it has... Nothing cut. So they had to cut, you know, for sexual, you know, theming, you know, adult theming. And, of course, guns were replaced by the villains like, having their hands pointing. Um, gun noises were taken away. Um, the talk of death and stuff were, like, taken away for, like, oh, he's sick. He went away or something. And some of the, even Yugi's names were, like, some names for the characters either were changed or altered to sound more American. Like, Joey's, Joey Wheeler was actually Junichi. Or Anzu, was, her name was changed to Taya. So it was like very, because they're trying to make as much as American. I understand that. But the fact is like, when it comes to anime, it's like, I understand. The whole thing you should have done was just like translate it and do it in English. But just censor any curse words. That's the only thing to be easier. But I understand for its graphic imagery. I mean, there are some monsters that probably, you know, it was, they were trying to target kids. Because, you know, four kids isn't it. It doesn't mean, you know, demographic was kids. Now, I understand, but at the same time, it's like you're kind of trying to erase a little bit of the culture that's being shared. Because like, they change all, like, all Ornigiri became, like, rice, became jelly donuts, and all characters of Japanese were taken or were faded out and blocked out. It's like, it, it was, like, really crazy. And like I said, I didn't, I always saw a glimpse of it, and then friends can talk about it. I think our cousins got into Yu-Gi-Oh!, and they had the video game as well. Like I said, it spawned, like, it was like, a, like another, like, media franchise as opposed to Pokemon. It was, like, their rival, basically. <laughs> Besides, like, Digimon itself, too. Digimon as well became a rival as well. But yesterday I started watching, you know, the first uh, few episodes of it. 
because it's on Crunchyroll right now and they have a subtitle. It's interesting. I mean, I never, I always saw like few episodes, but I never got into it. And I bought like now 21 years later, I'm decided when they saw like Crunchyroll put the thing on there, it's like, all right, I'm gonna check it out. And you saw, I was watching it yesterday and you know, it was, it was interesting. And it was like the way the game is played. I mean, if I got, if I was a big Yugo fan, who knows? Maybe I were playing. But right now, this is like mostly like Pokemon card trains become a big thing now. Because a lot of people still trade cards and they still sell cards for high values. And there's even like videos on like opening packs of cards. And people selling them or being like, you know, I would say appraisers of Pokemon cards. And like I said, uh, yeah, even like even the the Wikipedia page for Yu-Gi-Oh says the English released by four kids has been subject to censorship, made it more appropriate for children. Ground mentions that death violence replaced references of being sent to the Shadow Realm. And it says here, oh, that's the Bobak manga how he came up with the whole um, the whole story. But like I said, you can check it out right now. Like I said, it spot off so many. I think though, yeah, like looks like they had like three films. Looks like, but. Don't have like three films looks like throughout its run. But the main series itself. Okay, this looks like Toei did like the first series and then which we never saw, never saw the light of day. And then of course the one that pretty much everyone saw was familiar more was with Duel Monsters. It's the more like popular one. But it's pretty much what they did it says here. The first original anime came out in 1998. And it was produced by Toei and Nira TV Asahi between April 4th. It said the series is heavy abridged from the manga, skipping many chapters and often details of the manga stories that does adapt. It changed several key differences from the manga. Added a new regular character group, Miho Nosaka, who was originally a one shot minor character in the manga. This adaptation is not really changed in other works in the franchise. So they tr- this is another example of studios doing their own version, pretty, pretty much. And of course, the one we're more familiar with is called Yu Gi Oh! Do Monsters, and that's the one. That's more common today. And it says here, Lucy adapted the manga from chapter 60 onwards, series, features several differences in the manga and the toy produced series, and largely focuses around the game of Doom Master. So, pretty much, like I said, adapted from the manga. And it says here, it talks about four kids in 2001 that got the rights to it, and pretty much, so you see many changes from Japanese versus Taylor for international audiences, including different names for many of the characters or monsters, changes the appearance of the cards, and the victory for the real life counterparts, and various cuts and edits pertaining to violence, death, and religious references to make the series more suitable for children. And it says an uncut version featuring all English dub track in the original Japanese audio being released as a four, so it's with Foundation Entertainment. Only three volumes comprising the first novels were released. Four kids were later released on uncut Japanese novels on YouTube in 2009. But we're forced to stop due to legal reasons by ADK, Yugi's Japanese voice actor, Shushi Kazawa. Meanwhile, separate English adaptation produced by Yasen Air in Southeast Asia. The names were also Americanized in the series setting and originally remain intact. Well, like I said, this is a complete DVD box including all English episodes in the box beyond time will release on January 11, 15, 2004 via Amazon and July 11, 2005. 4K Media began releasing subtitle episodes to the control streaming site monthly. So, like, like I said, right now you can watch the original Yu-Gi-Oh! on, um, on Crunchyroll itself. I think they have all 2024 episodes on there. It is subtitled. So, like I said, and like I said, it's been so many series. It's spotted so many spells like Yu-Gi-Oh! GX, Yu-Gi-Oh! Capsule Monsters, Yu-Gi-Oh! 5Ds, Yu-Gi-Oh! XI, XI2, Yu-Gi-Oh! Arc 5, 
Yu-Gi-Oh! Reigns and Yu-Gi-Oh! Sevens, I guess it's the most recent one that came out last year. It has an area, but since the big two last year, so we'll see. And it goes, I know with the pandemic, a lot of anime series got delayed as well. That's why this year was more anime than it was last year. Because last year, there wasn't much new anime came out. Because a lot of studios, you know, either had to stop production or got delayed. And they had to find some way to make the works. Because um, people don't realize um, when they do an anime, they do the animation first. Then the voice actors don't. They don't. They don't dub. They don't record the voice actors first. They actually, the voice actors actually dub the finished work. So they actually just like similar to like to like English dub actors. They can see the finished product and try to make some movements. It's the same thing with the uh, Japanese voice actors as well. The only difference with Japanese voice actors, they all record in the same room, as opposed to English dubs where they're pretty much recording what person is, is goes in for each one session and they're in their own booth. But, of course, with the pandemic, you know, they had to find ways to, like, you know, adapt to it. Sometimes they had to work from home. Or they had to, like, separate times, you know. Either voice actors had to get, like, their equipment and stuff and set up their thing. Like, what Funimation's doing right now. I do applaud for right now that due to, like, you know, COVID-19 here in the U.S. And they're based in Texas. And Texas being, you know, one of the highest states. Luckily that some of their voice actors actually live in California. Some live in Texas. But they had the equipment or means to actually do recording over the internet, basically. And it's been done. Yeah, it's been rarely done. Like, a lot of series last year had to go through that. A lot of voice actors had to go through that. And they're trying to keep the work going. So, kudos to Funimation for doing that. You know, and like I said... Definitely check out Yu-Gi-Oh! It's on Crunchyroll. Like I said, if you ever played the card game, play the card game. It's really interesting. But I just wanted to bring that to light because, like I said, it's been 21 years. And it just shows how old we are. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of wild to think about. Because um, I remember uh, at the same time when they would, like, when people were still playing um, Game Boy. Or Game Boy. Yeah, so Game Boy Color when, uh, like, Pokemon was still being played on that. Like, there were kids on the adjacent table playing Yu-Gi-Oh! And, you know, it was kind of like the, similar to the console wars in a sense that people who played Pokemon and stuff were seen as more of like the, in the main, within the mainstream because it, it really was like, obviously like Yu-Gi-Oh was brought onto there later on, but like it wasn't popular to be playing that. So it seemed like it was, the it was kind of transcending that with, uh, it was just, it was too hard to compete with Pokemon here. I'm sure Yu-Gi-Oh! had a lot more of a popularity fan and structured fan base out in, in uh, Asia. But, like, here, it, it, I think Pokemon dropped at a, at a perfect moment in time to where it was going to be very difficult for anything to even remotely capture some of that market space from them. But they, they I think they tested, they, they definitely made the test of time. Just because I remember that show being on, on Fox, whatever, for, for like the longest time, regardless, and then going on to, I think, wasn't it like Cartoon Network at a point? So like, yeah, it was, it was still around to where it, it, it was able to carve its own niche. And I think that's where like, it's, it's, it is crazy to think that, man, it's, it's been around for this long and you're like it, it, and like i mentioned it's like if you watch those back when vh1 did the fucking like i love the 80s 90s um nowadays i don't really see that as a thing anymore I, you can finally find plenty of youtube channels that they're dedicated to, so the, like, to this like like i said yeah it became obsolete so it, it's kind of it's one of those things that are like oh yeah i remember that like wow i can't believe that's that's been out this long so yeah kudos for them um although you're not into it like 
it's very much interesting to see that it's stand the test of time. Yeah, it's like like I said, I'm, I started watching it yesterday. I'm like, I'm interested because it's like I said, I'm trying to watch like, look with me with anime. I'm like trying to watch stuff that pretty much you know. I did, didn't get my attention back then, but I'm watching it now. Like I said, because that time, like the Four Kids era, like it threw me away from anime because of the whole heavy localization. I knew for a fact they came from Japan. I knew for a fact it's anime. They came from Japan. I don't know. It's just because of the heavy dubbing and pretty much to me was I'm like, that is not Jelly Donut. That is Onigiri. It's like I knew some of the stuff because I seen like regular television about it. They talked about it. It's like... It just ruined it for me. And, like, four kids pretty much ruined anime. Like, yeah, it was great. They brought it over to the U.S., but to do it through a heavy dub localization, and it sucks because, you know, at least Funimation, when they try to do translation versions, don't, yeah, they had to cut some things, but they did it for the sake of it, but they never very Americanize it or anything. It's just because of the network they're on. I don't blame Funimation for that, and that's why they end up releasing, you know, the uncut versions where the voice actors actually go back and record it, and they add all the stuff that was cut out. But of course, you know those 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 like box sets were expensive, and VHS were still prominent, guys. If you can, if any young listeners here, VHSs are before what DVDs and Blu-rays are now, <laughs> pretty much. But yeah, those sets were expensive. We didn't have the luxury. The internet was still young at that time. So and plus, we didn't have the, no streaming services. There was no Crunchyroll. There was no Funimation. Funimation was around, but they were more like more of the home video market, and working with television networks. So. You couldn't get anime on demand and stuff, and those box sets were expensive. And, you know, yeah, it was all about merchandising and selling and stuff, but, yeah, access to anime was really scarce. And, like I said, it blew me off for years, and I didn't get back into it until, you know, Adult Swim took a gamble on Cowboy Bebop and started showing down their Adult Swim when they launched that in 2001. So, yeah, I had a few years where, you know, I didn't watch anime at all. But, I mean, every time I, everyone mentioned anime, all I kept hearing was Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z. Because that became popular. Even though Dragon Ball Z was out in the early, late, early 90s. But we barely got here in the 2000s. You know, so it was like, it was crazy. And it's like, it's because the whole same thing with the delay. Because we didn't, this, we're convenient now where, now with Crunchyroll and Funimation and High Dive, they can get animes a day after it's aired in Japan or even hours after it's in Japan. So now we're in the same boat as, you know, our Japanese brothers. You know, we're actually in the same boat. You know, our fellow otakus. But it's like, now back then it wasn't because you had to wait, you know, months until it was brought over. You had to wait two months. I mean, it's usually animes that were out for years back in Japan. They already aired already. They were, all the episodes out already. You had to wait until they came over here. Mm-hmm. So, because there was no on-demand service, streaming wasn't that big yet. And like I said, but like I said, I was surprised, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! being that long. Because you could, I, I worked in retail, and I used to work in the toy department. And don't be surprised, like, I've seen people coming in buying Yu-Gi-Oh! cards. That was still, like, a big thing. And I was back, what, 2003 when I worked in the toy department. It's like, you know... Um, yeah, you see boxes of Yu-Gi-Oh cards, and it was more, it was real popular. I said, they were Pokemon. People still play the Pokemon training card game, and they still, you know, they, to the point, like I said, I mentioned earlier, they have videos where people are praised Pokemon cards, and Nintendo sees that as like a big, you know, money market. Yeah. That's why Pokemon Company and Konami became big, because it's like, that's why these companies, you know, they invest, you know, they take a gamble and pretty much see how big this franchise is. And it says here, as of January 2021, the game is estimated that it sold about 100. 100- for this Yu-Gi-Oh! trade card game, it's from Wikipedia, 
from their page. It says, as of January 2021, the game is estimated to sell about 35 billion cards worldwide. It grows over 1 trillion yen, which is equivalent to $9.64 billion. Damn, that's a lot. And it's, they're still printing cards. And they're still going. And then you, you don't even be surprised. You go to conventions, you people like dress as like, the characters from the Yu-Gi-Oh cards themselves. And you see them on, even online. You see people dressed as Dark Magician Girl, which, you know, um, got people's attention. You know, it's like, like I said, it spanned, you know, they had films and it spanned, like, merchandise and stuff. It was all about the cards. I mean, there were very few toys based on Yu-Gi-Oh. I mean, even Pokemon, very few toys based on Pokemon. But they started making, like, the collectible figurines and stuff. But, I mean, very few promotions. I think, I don't know, Burger King or, I don't know, Burger King did, like, the Pokemon Kids Meal toys. And then, you know. Oh, yeah. Those are fun. The little uh, gold card things. And then they have the gold cards. But like I said, it's really interesting to see how this franchise still survives. And, of course, with Digimon itself, I'm not... I don't know, Biko, you're ever familiar with Digimon. Yeah, I didn't like it either. I thought that was, like, the weird... Well, because, like, it came out very much... Uh, I guess you could say it came out, at, like, like, blatantly trying to compete with Pokemon. Um... I will say the art style is a lot more is a lot more of a easier to be on the eye compared to uh, Pokemon, but like it was very hard to not feel like it was just a, a rip off of what Pokemon established. But I think like at the end of the day, you gotta do what you gotta do, and and if that was if they felt like their claim to fame would be to not only be. Well, they weren't on the same network. But no, I think, Fox but, yeah, Fox did, no, Fox did the, I think Fox helped produce it a little bit. Um, but I think with Digimon itself, um, it was first, you know, it was like a Gigapet toy. I don't know, remember Tamagotchis? Oh, yeah. yeah. So it was based on the, the whole Tamagotchi phase where, yeah, if people are not familiar with Tamagotchis are, they see what Tamagotchis were. They were like this, um, this is like little electronic the old toy on a keychain. It was a virtual pet. You pretty much took care of it when it was hungry. Um, when you went to the bathroom, you clean up the poop, basically. It was like taking care of a dog, basically. That's pretty much what it was. Taking a dog, care of a dog, pet, a cat, or a fish, whatever pet you had. But it was your own personal, you know, because you hatch it. It started as an egg, and you hatch it. Here with the Digimon toy, it was a Gigapet where, you know, it was like, I think you pulled up the picture of it, but this is like the concept of it. Vico, if you want to look at the screen here, this is like a little... So pretty much Bandai, that's Bandai, Bandai owns Digimon, so pretty oh, much... Yeah, see, there you go. And pretty much it was the same thing. Like, you raise it, and you can, like, train it to fight and stuff, and what's cool about it is, if your other buddy had, like, an energy device, you can have them face each other, and basically you can level up your character. And, of course, this launched... The, yeah, it says there are two devices... Here, I'll read a little bit of history. Um, see, Tamagotchi didn't come here till like 98, 99, I believe. And this came out in the early 2000. But the time, and it says here, um, Virtual Pets, Sports Market, six months at the first 98. Play with baby, baby digital level creature has a limited number of attacks, transformations. And to make the creature strong by training and nourishing the creature. When the player sits on a workout, the Digimon becomes strong. When the player fails, the Digimon becomes weak. Two devices can be connected, allowing two players to battle with their respective creatures innovation at the time. However, the battle is only possible for the moment the creature is in child level or bigger. Playgrounds and subways were where the majority uses of the apparatus were concentrated. Virtual Pet was banned in some Asian schools by, by being considered by parents as teachers as noisy and violent. 
First Digimon were created by Japanese designer Kenji Watanabe, influenced by American comics, which were beginning to gain popularity in Japan. As such, began to make his characters look stronger and cool. Other types of Digimon, which until the year 2000 totaled 279, came from the extensive discussions and collaborations between Bandai company members. And like I said, and that because because of that, it led to a uh, pretty much an anime series, um, where pretty much um, Toei made the animation, but of course, you know, Fox um end up like, let me see if I pull up the Fox helped out with that, and of course, once again, with Fox helping out with that, I think it was Saban that worked with with them as well. Bandai made it. I think they. I forgot what studio. I think it was. Saban, they work with the studio. Saban to bring it over, and pretty much, um, again, it it got pretty much censored, and of course, the names were changed as well. Very few Jap, very few of the main characters' names were kept original. Um, tai Chi was just tied; it just took away the cheap part of it, and it was the same thing. But it became really popular. It spanned a movie, and of course, it launched the base of the series. Um, and I think I saw that a little more because it was on like a Saturday mornings and stuff, and it was really interesting. Um, I didn't see the movie, um, but it, I seen people talk about it more because it was like the difference between this this series and Pokemon was at least here the Digimon actually talk like people mm-hmm. versus like in the Jap reason in Pokemon they just say their name over and over again, but based on the tone of voice you can tell if they're angry or sad or something. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what kind of like drew, you know, honestly, like I said, it, it drew people that were not into the Pokemon phrase and into the Digimon. Of course, the Digimon was kind of cool is versus Pokemon where they evolve, they stay in that evolved state. Once it meets the final evolution. Here with Digimon, they can go back and forth. They can Digivolve and then Digivolve back to the original forms. So you had that option. And they can fuse with other Digimon that create like, you know, the Super Digimon, basically, the Digimon Champions, basically, how to say. Um... It became popular to the point it spanned many anime series. Of course, Digimon Adventure Try, which was the film series, which pretty much went back and covered the Digidestin and stuff. Here we go. So, Entertainment says here, let's just pull up the distribution. So, it's in the United States, Digimon Adventure premiered in August 99 on a Fox Processing Company. English Adventure's adaptation of the series produced by Saban Entertainment and later Sensation Animation. The series was brought as a Fox Kid. Saban would dub the first four anime series in the franchise, which will collectively retitled Digimon Digital Monsters. Some scenes from the original version were modified or minute in order to comply with Fox's standards and practices. Show featured more jokes and added dialogue along with a completely different musical score. It says here, as a cross-promotional stunt, 2001-2002 saw Digibowl specials co-brews with Fox Sports. NFL and Fox commentator Terry Bradshaw provided interstitial segments in between episodes as if the episodes were actually a football game. Okay. But like I said, um... Of course, right now, after Saban Studios was sold to Hasbro, the rights of Digimon U.S. are currently owned by Shop Factory. Damn. U.S. rights, basically. Mm-hmm. But Digimon Adventure Tree goes back, and that's the most recent one, because it goes back and sees the original Digidestin. But, of course, with the success it launched, with the success of those tri-films, of course, now we got the Digimon Adventure, the, the reboot, basically, which actually takes place in 2020. So it's a reboot of the series. I mean, you get the original digestion, but it takes place in the year 2020, so it's like current, so people understand more. It's not dated like the original series was dated. I think they did bring it back, because I remember it was on Hulu for a while, and they took it away, and Stars had the rights to it, but they went back, They brought it back on Hulu itself. 
But you can watch uh, Digimon Adventure, um, the re- the reboot, the current version right now is currently on Crunchyroll right now. And so far, as of right now, it's only sixty six episodes right now. As of airing, they're still it's still going, which I need to get back and watch it. But to me, and well, I got into that because of the video games as well. Because but I didn't get into the video games until when I got a PS four, when they decided to release like the Cyber Sleuth Adventure games, which are really good. I need to finish the second one, but. It got me back to the world of Digimon because you could there you could create your like your own Digimon and stuff and you had those staples like Agumon, um Gatomon or known here as Tailmon. No Gatomon was known here, but her name is Tailmon. Um I don't know if you knew of them, but Agumon was like my favorite one of all of them. Um But like I said, uh like I said, that's another big thing that came out in the early two thousands, like like they go out with like Pokemon game. You're more into the video games or more for the, like the card game. The Pokemon. The yeah. Games, the video games. The the cards were there in a moment, but it was more or less to uh, to trade and collect the best ones. Um, which eventually I wanted it to be a monetary thing, but that got ruined by my mom. But uh, other than that, like that was the main goal was just to trade for the good ones. Mainly the holographic cards were kind of the. Mm-hmm. The the name of the game when it came to getting like starter packs and I didn't really get I got my cards through trading more or less than actually not really like, going to get them at the store and all that so like I didn't the ones I really wanted were the holographics but like the games were I think what took over once you were able to kind of build up your your uh your accessories for your Game Boy like the the cable link the the backlights you could play at night I think. What helped is that there was only two or three games at a, at a time that were available, and mo- they were all pretty cross-playable when it came to trading Pokemon through the link. So I think at those days, it was easier to kind of play with your friends, see what Pokemon you guys have, ch- share tips and tricks on how to get better. And I think that helped helped kind of you develop an attachment to Pokemon so I think the cards became not obsolete, but no, just, because uh, even to the point they actually made a game version of the trading card the game. Cards, yeah, and and it just didn't it just didn't seem like you were either playing it on the game or you're playing the cards, and half the time nobody really knew the rules of playing the cards anyways because it wasn't very straightforward and people made their own. So like, it just seemed like it was something to where you wanted it to be more or less hands on. Mm-hmm. Uh, experience compared to just trading cards it's just it's hard to compare a card game playing it on video games uh in that like type of form i mean and we constantly see card games getting traded into or getting translated into video games like mobile games that's kind of taken over like people and em- running emulators on their android phones to play game boy games and and it's it's impressive how we've gone throughout the years to see that happen and it's i think since there's just so many it's like the problem with Mario games, right? Like, there's so many different Mario games you can play that it didn't literally limit him. It's just, it changed your experience of the characters. Because I think with Mario itself, because, yeah, he was a plumber, but I think the way the, Mar- the Nintendo has him, like, he's an everyman. Like, he can do any job he wants. I mean, he was a, they had made him a doctor, golfer, tennis player, um, race car driver, um, baker, and Yoshi's Cookie, um, 
And it's like, yeah, because with that, there was more like the expendability of the character itself. And when Nintendo was like being smart of the IP is they kept like he was the face of the company. And like with Pokemon itself was like, you know, game we approached Game Freak to develop a game and, you know, and develop a franchise, which to the point it spawned off its own company, even though they're under the Nintendo umbrella, they're like a company itself in itself. And like it spawned like even the most recent films, like it's not those anime films, the series is the anime series still going on. I mean, Detective Pikachu became, you know, a big thing. Because it was like... Yeah, strange enough, yeah. It, it was really good. I enjoyed it. You know, the way they were able to incorporate the Pokemon in a real-world setting. And, you know, and that's a game that's barely... I don't even know the Pikachu's out in Japan and here in the U.S. yet. Let me look it up because it's based on a spinoff. Because, in, in, because Detective Pikachu was a spinoff. It's a spinoff game series of Pokemon where, you know... I doubt that it's in the... Let me see if, it's, if the game is here in the U.S., though. Here, let's go get your game. There we go. So it was made for 3DS, so I'm thinking it has to be here now. Yeah, Dead Pikachu is an adventure game created by Creatures and Corporate published by a Pokemon Company. Super Nintendo for the Nintendo 3DS family system games to spin off a Pokemon franchise where a player works with a talking Pikachu to solve... Various mysteries. A short download version of the game called Great Detective Pikachu Perfect New Duels was Japan in 2016 and released in the U.S. Okay, so it is released in the U.S. But, like I said, it was a point, like, Pikachu became the, the mascot of Pokemon. Like, you could not go down the street without seeing a Pikachu like, oh, Pokemon. Yeah. I mean, because he's, like, the next recognizable thing. It's automatic, yeah. But with the film itself releasing, like, having a good following that supposedly they're going to make a, a big game for for the Switch. So, like, even nowadays, Pokemon still being, you know, people get excited with Pokemon. It's because of the games as well, besides the trading card game. The trading card game is still being popular. And the game itself, because now it's like, you got Pokemon Snap coming out for the Switch. Because with Nintendo having the Switch being one of those, like, hybrid consoles where you can play at home or play on the road, it kind of works to, like, Nintendo's advantage. And especially with their franchise. And it's like, I have, I think I have Pokemon Shield, I think, right now. I still have to get back into that. Um, but, I mean, plus, too, you could have Pokemon. They got Pokemon Mobile games as well. And then, you know, they, they're going to do another Pokemon game. It takes place, like, in early Japan. So you have to see that, like, they're in costumes of Pokemon in the early ages. And, you know, like I said, then you're going to have to Pikachu. It's like, it still has franchises coming out. And they, it's to a point where they made a CGI version of the first movie. Mm-hmm. Remember when the first movie came out? How the big hype of that film was? Yeah. I mean, it was, like I said, I just it went with uh, the popularity at the time. It was only inevitable that they were going to do a movie. Uh, and even that was pretty insane because they had a fucking... I, the, the, I mean, it, it spawned like three or four other movies. It, it's kind of crazy to see that like something simple that started within a year already got a movie before the end of the decade. So it, it, for what it's worth, that's why it was like, it's hard to see that and compete with. It was very hard to see Yu-Gi-Oh compete with something like that. It was just wasn't, it wasn't just going to happen. Like even if they made little movies, a straight to video compared to a full feature film in the theaters and getting that push like it, it was it's hard to compete with that I don't know yeah that's crazy and then of course like I said it like it's hard to compete like you can still like pretty much um you can pretty much like 
I say, kid, go anywhere. You can find Pikachu Pokemon merchandise anywhere, pretty much. It's like one of those fucking franchises. Um, you got the statues and the plushies. And like, I was watching even up, up, down, down. They like um, they did a little gaming tournament with Pokemon Stadium. I don't know if you remember Pokemon Stadium. Mm-hmm. Pokemon Stadium was like the bigger version of Pokemon. It's like it, it kind of serves as an incentive because you can rent Pokemon to play battle each other, but you can with the link cable through sixty four with the P with the Game Boy versions. You can sync up your Pokemon from your Game Boy game and use them to battle as well. So, like I said, it, it's a franchise that spun off many different versions of its game. And I would say, like I said, versus like Yu-Gi-Oh! itself, I mean, there's been so many versions of Yu-Gi-Oh! as well, but the concept's still the same concept, and, you know, it's a, it's a dual game. Well, Pokemon was like, there was different versions of Pokemon. I remember you had Hey You Pikachu for the 64 where, you know, that you could talk to it and stuff. And Pokemon Snap lets you take pictures. Pokemon Stadium. And Pikachu's appointed. He became part of Super Smash Bros. franchise as well. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize Super Smash Bros. was done by the creator of Kirby. And he's still in charge of the Smash Bros. franchise. Mm-hmm. And they always keep expanding on because it's another thing to That's another popular franchise that never, I think will never get old. Super Smash Bros. is still popular then. It's still popular now because... Back then, it was just all Nintendo characters. And then now, with so many relationships that Nintendo has with a lot of, like, game developers, they're able to bring their IPs into this gaming franchise based on the relationships Nintendo build with other game developers. And, like, Beagle, what was, like, your memories of, like, Smash Brothers? I mean, I still play it, but it's it's the one of the best fighting games of all time it, it's still very much a high seller it sold like 12 million copies in its first like week on the switch like it was it's still gonna be something that it's it's a it became a foundational essential title to have on anything that's going to be released on nintendo for moving forward and even when it came out for n64 it was something that like it was so odd because they're like what the hell like you just have your core characters just beating each other up but it was also like the what if things and I think to use their characters like that and then to kind of like bring a little more notoriety to the other ones and, and to have them cross their own like their own within their own little environments made it that much more special and it also it's it's a game that's gonna it continues to bring more and more different characters from across different genres of games to coming in to like, I, I think I saw a thing the other day. They want Rayman to be on there already. And Rayman's been around for a long time, too, on PlayStation. And and that and I feel like he doesn't... That character doesn't get a lot of its recognition it deserves for being a very fun game. I think it's because the Rabbids get more, like, the popular because the Rabbids. But, of course, yeah, Ubisoft made like, them. But they never was spin off of Rayman, so, though. Yeah. yeah, but that's a, that's what I mean. It's like having it's like having Meta Knight but not acknowledging that and it's, and it's weird because they did a collab... Like, Super Mario and Rabbids did a collaboration, and it was one of the first Switch titles. Was a collaboration between Mario and Rabbids, and it was like a strategy type game for 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 the Switch. And I'm surprised based on that they didn't allow Rayman. Rayman, I mean, I don't know how big like Ubisoft is with their IP. I think when it comes to their IP and stuff, they're really you know. No, I mean it's fine. Like they they've come, they've even got their own games, so it doesn't like. That's what I mean is that they add a lot of characters and I know they want to tread the line between having some characters that are known and then they come from niche niche properties. But that's also, I think that's what hurts them at the same time. Like, it took them forever to even put Sonic on there. And, like, as much as it, w- it was fun to see that, it's still, like, 
okay, you're extending a uh, metaphorical olive branch to show that, like, hey, these two characters were iconic when the video games started becoming a thing. When the video game wars, yeah, the console wars. Answer to that fantasy of like, what would they do if they both get a chance to beat each other up? And they're both fun characters to play with. So like, that makes sense. Um, And then with the eve of adding, like, even from Melee, I think being the best one out of all of them, uh, they they continuously improve on what the game is, adding new things, but also adding characters that aren't as known, but also, like, sometimes they can be at fault for, like, trying to introduce us to certain characters that maybe shouldn't have been added just yet. Like, we, I think it took them forever just to add, like, Banjo-Kazooie or, and, and, to add some other characters and we get some duplicates but like i think i liked how they still add famous characters from like namco and all that stuff in there as well we do i think it's become more or less a video game character appreciation game as opposed to just being strictly nintendo characters um I th- obviously we're going to get more nintendo characters thrown in there compared to like getting licensing from others but i think at the end of the day it's it's like that it's like a, a game and a billboard to kind of show appreciation um i'm hoping that with the, maybe with the development of a newer switch or maybe like a more higher powered switch that they develop another game i mean it'd be very it'd be very stupid for them not to do it i, I mean smash Bros. ultimate is fun it is good um there are things i would like to change about it that i felt like uh, that's what sucks. Like, like they, they, we wait a long time. They make a good game, but then it's just like there's always something to take away from us that like was really good. But Nintendo has always been like that to where they feel it's their way or the highway, and they don't really listen to fans because they know that they're like Disney. Like they know that they got us by the balls, so they can oh they they can tread the line only so much. But they know that people are going to still come back and play with their titles because they have nostalgia on their side as opposed to like having to really take in the fan criticism and the and the critique and to and to understand what it is to experience these games from a consumer perspective as opposed to being the the producer and the creator um and I don't want to take away from the people who work really hard on developing these games cuz that's like crazy amount of hours that they put in their lives to to create these things and I'm sure they're they're proud of their work and by all means it's a, still a very good game it's just there are things that I would personally would like to them to do away with and and kind of go back to the roots in some aspects. But overall, like I don't it's hard to imagine a Nintendo system without having a Smash Brothers game, a Mario Kart game, a Mario Party game, a Mario um, open world platform type of game. Like it's very it's hard to imagine Nintendo without that. Like it doesn't it won't be the same if they continue to go down that path with with having a a mobile console, we'll say. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going through the list right now the, for the ultimate. Like, yeah, because it's like one of those, like, like you said, it, it became, it, it was just basically just a first-party Nintendo brawler, but it, it expands to so much more because it brought characters from franchises that didn't get a lot of trending in the in the West. I mean, yeah, you had NES in the first game, and I didn't know NES was from Earthbound. That was a game for the Super Nintendo because it was when Earthbound was basically uh, a sequel to Mother, which was a, an RPG game, and of course, your Earthbound became Mother Two, was Mother Two in Japan, and there was a Mother Three for later on for another system. It's like, and you got to see these characters, and you got Lucas, who was in, in the third like Mother game, 
make an appearance as well. And um, then you get characters from Fire Emblem, and Fire Emblem I wasn't familiar with Fire Emblem because it was that was more like a, a strategy type game. Then you got Pit from Kid Icarus, of course Samus from. Met- I mean, then Metroid itself it was like another thing too because yeah, Samus, and of course you know people didn't realize Samus was a girl because she, she was like one of the first female protagonists in the game. And people didn't know that she was a girl until, you know, if you do the special, like, steps in the first game, you get the, because remember, different, different endings. Then you get, like, obscure characters, even characters from, like, Duck Hunt or something from Nostalgia. And then, you know, they added characters from Dragon Quest, when, of course, here in the U.S. was known as Dragon Warrior. Then you got characters, you know, even from their new franchises, like the Inklings of Splatoon. Um, then you got characters from Street Fighter, and then you got Joker from Persona 5, which is the biggest one, because it's like, he said, Banjo-Kazooie was extra interesting too, too, because... That was crazy because I think because based on Magical Zoo, they were owned by Rare, which of course was owned by Microsoft. Well, of course, with Microsoft and Nintendo having that good relationship when they decided the whole crossplay thing with Microsoft with Minecraft and stuff, that was like to show good faith. And of course, you know, Dragon Quest itself. And because, you know, when they decided to bring the original Dragon Quest onto, you know, Nintendo Switch, like the first three. And then, you know, with the relationship, because they used to be, you know, on there. And then, of course, you know, like Joker with Atlas, when I remember seeing the teaser for that when Joker from Persona 5, which Persona 5, even though the other Persona games are popular, Persona 5 is still the most recognizable game in the franchise. And to the point it spanned a sequel developed by, uh, I forgot who made the, the scramble, which I need to get. But... Joker itself, you know, Atlas, you know, and then you got Camp from Street Fighter, you know, being on there as well. You got Street Fighter and then Lil Mac from Punch-Out. Like I said, you get characters from other series that you don't recognize. Even, like, Mr. Game & Watch, and people don't realize Mr. Game & Watch was, like, back in the day when Nintendo did, like, the, the LCD games. That's where Mr. Game & Watch came from. And, of course, they recently added uh, Mithra and Pyro from uh, Xenoblade Chronicles as well. Um, and, of course, you got Pikmin in there, and then, of course, Pac-Man. I mean, come on, Pac-Man, dude. And then called Rob the Robot. People don't like, like tell your kids who Rob the Robot was. It was an accessory. Of, like, fortunately, we weren't lucky enough to get that. We got the the Zapper Pack, <laughs> so we didn't get the the set with the Rob the Robot. That way, I had like a couple of games only. Uh, if you watched the uh, Angry Review game there, he did an episode on Rob the Robot as well. And I think the Gaming Story did one too as well. Then you got characters from Castlevania. In there as well, Minecraft was that on there, Fatal Fury. I'm like, characters you wouldn't have thought would be in a Nintendo based game. And like I said, like you said, because like, well, what if? Like Snake from, you know, Metal Gear Solid. You know, it's like characters that you thought were never going to be in the game together, you got to see them at work, you know? Mm-hmm. To the point they had the Wii Fit trainer. I'm like, come on. <laughs> Remember Wii Fit? <laughs> No, yeah, they had stupid shit. They they started adding stupid characters that shouldn't have been made. Or the the Pokemon trainer was interesting. I liked that, but then they started adding the me characters, and it's just like I know you guys didn't run of ideas, but like I, why? Like we don't need these characters either. It just it was starting to become something to where it's like that's when they start weren't they weren't listening to the fans. I mean, Mega Man was great that they added. They should have done that a long time ago. Yeah, Mega Man as well. Yeah. Um, they had. What Solid Snake was a great addition. Um, they had there's there there was definitely room to where they could add these people in there, and at the same time, I don't know if they were honestly thinking that like they should like they added Pac Man too that later on. Then we got a couple of not repeat characters, but they definitely just clone characters. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they, they had more fire emblem characters which was fine because they all of them were at least different and we definitely did need more weapon characters besides link um but then we had young link and all this other then you have cloud you got zephyroth as well yeah so they had some final and the hero characters. from dragon quest and yeah yeah, like they needed, they do need to add some of these people because they are of notoriety with Nintendo. Um, they are important, like especially with Super Nintendo, they should have more characters. But then we had like Fox, Falco, and, and Wolf, which they all essentially played the same outside of Wolf. So like, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just that they they, they doubled down on the clone characters instead of actually being open minded to adding new people. Like I never expected the Splatoon characters to be in there, but I think it's just it's important that they're in there too because yeah it's a pretty it was it's a pretty culturally uh significant game for the neck for the newer consoles um yeah the the Wii Fit Trainer is odd to me I get it I understand like yes it's been a long time since the Wii was out so they should pay some homage to it but like Duck Hunt came after that and it's just kind of like what the fuck like, Duck Hunt's been around since the beginning, so it's kind of sad that, like, they, they didn't get it until a little later, but I'm glad they did. Um, I, I would have, I would love to see Knuckles being brought in there. I think it would have been great to have him in, uh, as opposed to, ha- like, because he was pretty prominent, too. Like, especially if you're going to bring Sonic in the mix, like, you should have Knuckles. Um, yeah, because I think he would be a perfect fit because he's a brawler, so kind of... Yeah, it, it would make sense. It would make sense, yeah. A, like a similar power character, like like a Captain uh, Falcon character or Ganondorf, like he can be a power character as well. So, like, they can play around with these things. Like, I love that they added Diddy Kong in there. He should have been added a long time ago, too. Like, they they do a good job when it counts. It's just that, like, it's just kind of like, why did they take so long to add some pretty iconic nintendo characters where they have a lot to choose from i just think they like some i and we have to see it from uh like rights and licensing yeah too, and licensing like they what's popular over there isn't gonna and then whatever their market feedback they get and from their american resources like they gotta tread that line too but they also gotta you know they have to make it a sellable game and the home front as well from them so i i wish they i wish they would kind of do more research into seeing why these characters have a lot of popularity in the states as compared to japan um but i also get that they want to they also need to remain creative too and they don't want to branch out too far to where like they're gonna add like i think didn't they add a resident evil character into oh let me pull it up hold on like to add um what's his name Name. Let me pull it up. Let me pull up the list. Of, hold on. I had the list on here. There, let me pull up the list. I had the list on here. Hold on. Oh, uh, here it is. Uh, play characters in the series. Okay. I mean... They had a couple of heroes like Captain Falcon is the only character in F Zero. That's the, <laughs> that's the only one. Yeah, and you get and you get Dark Samus as well. And he said Diddy Kong is on there. Greninja from Pokemon. So you got like one of the yeah. They added some newer Pokemon's uh, that that like uh, that fire one to like they they had to they, they had to add more Pokemon. Like that's perfectly fine. Mewtwo. Um, yeah. I wish it didn't take away Mewtwo, but I thought Mewtwo was on there. No, he's not. He's not in Pokemon. He's, he's not, not in Smash Bros. Ultimate. Smash Bros. Ultimate. No, they thought they were gonna bring him, but no. 
Um, Even though it's shown here on the Wikipedia that was like checkmarked that he was on there. Not an ultimate, but he's in he's in melee. Hmm. Uh, he wasn't added for some reason. Um, then he added the piranha plant from Marvel. Yeah, <laughs> like you see, like there's some that are just like. Uh, yeah, look at the list, dude. I just, I just pull out the list. Look at look at the list. And oh yeah, show. Rosalina Luma. Yeah, like okay, Sheik too. Sheik's been for a while now. Uh, Toon Link, yeah. I just it, there's a lot of like oh yeah they did add Steve from Minecraft because he's DLC. Uh, Terry from Fatal Fury, yeah that's fine. Like there's some, and then Wario like it, there, people are waiting for Waluigi to be brought in there and he's only like a tro like an icon like a trophy character like he's not a main one and I'm shocked that he isn't right now. They added Daisy like why wouldn't they be able to add him? Um, so it's just like they have that's one thing is like they have they're they're a hit or miss. A lot when it, and with the, even with the DLC kind of being a thing, a lot of people still get disappointed that they like they they hype up these characters that cost you money to get them, and then it's like like ah oh, this is not what we wanted. Like yes, Minecraft is culturally significant these last few years, but at the same time, it's just kind of like why, like why are we having a Minecraft character in here? Like it's just not I I don't know. It's just I, it's just not. It's not something I wanted in, in the Smash Brothers game, but it's fine. Like people like Minecraft. Um, it's just it's weird to me. Yeah, and like I said, it like I said, it's like like I said, stuff that you grew up with. It, it changes over time. It evolves over time. And it's like I like I said, this is a series that keeps. I mean, doesn't they keep adding more? It's just either stages or more like characters, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean that's the one thing it grows it more, but it's like it, it's a song it hits you with the with the nostalgia. You had the ice climbers on here and the ice climbers are on there as well. It's like I never heard of ice climbers, but it's based on an old NES game. It's like and it's like Pokemon is featured properly in this game as well. It's like you got Jigglypuff and all that stuff, and I have a sore, you know, Incineroar. Mm-hmm. You got Charizard and all that stuff. So it's like Pokemon shows is big popularity as well. Like I said, um, a lot of people are asking, you know, that, like right now, I guess right now is even though they don't have the characters on there, but you can get uh, costumes. I guess they got like the, because you got your Miis or something, so you get a Mii Fighter in there. and Yeah, they have Mii Fighter. It has, like, it has costumes for um, Ultimate as well. It says you get costumes from Tekken, Undertale, um, Cuphead. Fallboy from Fallout and Travis Touchdown from No More Heroes. So, you know, you can't get the fighters per se, but at least you can get, like, at least, like, their costumes and stuff. At least their costumes made to the mix as well. But it's, like, it, it shows how, like, the times change when it comes to, like, you know, and how old you feel with, you know, how these franchises are. And, you know, it's, like, Right now, with the community right now, with the Attack on Titan community right now, Attack on Titan, like the manga chapter, just re- last chapter, the manga just got released. And there's already a petition for people that, for like, a lot of the, for them to change the ending for the manga. It's like, come on, the manga just came out, like the last chapter is supposed to be collected to be released on volume later this summer. And like the anime right now, I just went on a break right now, and they're going to come up with the rest part of the final season for like next winter, which will probably be January. And it's like, and now they're forcing the manga to create the you know this dude wrote the manga for so long and the anime set went through so many hiatuses and stuff and it's like he was trying to close out the story and they're really like getting on him to like change like the last chapter. Let me see if I can pull up the article. 
because I saw something talked about it. Uh, I might have to pull it up on the Google. Because, like I said, that's one of the series that I'm like, I'm reading it. I haven't like, I watched a little bit of the anime. I said to go back and watch it. Like, I don't know. It's one of those series where they took some else from the manga, but they kind of change it a little bit. There's more as it goes on, but let me see if I can pull it up here. Uh, yeah. Tiger Tire fans position to change the manga's ending. Oh, this is an old article, but. Oh, so I'm put it on here. Okay. This published yesterday, actually, 19 hours ago. So it's from Comic Resources, CBR.com. Um, Second time fast petition, Hajime Isayama to change the manga's ending. It says, uh, Second time released five chat right now, fans petitioning author Hajime Isayama to revise the manga's controversial ending. It says, fans are petitioning author Hajime Isayama to rewrite the controversial final chapter of the Attack on Titan manga. Petition on change.org, dress t- title to Isayama title, write a satisfying alternative ending to AOT. Currently has 5,597 signatures in the title of writing. Doubling text of the petition reads, currently Shigeki no Kaiujin, or Attack on Titan is known in the West, was one of the greatest manga series I have read. I believe a lot of fandom is very disappointed with the current ending. The ending feels very rushed to me and a lot of the fandom. Mm. It's just say the petition text goes on to list a number of detailed spoiler-filled criticisms of the ending, the treatment of certain characters, and the sudden shift in tone from the rest of the series. You can speculate that either the publisher Kodansha or Shinyama's editor was responsible for the changes to perhaps fit more of a shonen type of ending. It also emphasizes that fans should not harass Shinyama or the disappointment with their ending. The final collective volume of Attack of Time manga is a regular contain extra pages, not including the original ending. The manga's final serialized chapter was published in Bizatsu Shonen Magazine on April 9th. Uh, Attack of Time has been serialized since 2009, so... And it says here it includes a 111-year run this month, the publication chapter 139. To date, the manga has released 33 volumes. The current volume includes chapters 135 and 139. Second time, I'm to go on sale in Japan on June 9th, in English on October 19th. So, I understand. And that's the same community that pretty much tries to spoil the anime for everybody. <laughs> it's because of people that don't read the manga, that read the manga, they want to... They, they, it's like, you get the trolls. I mean, I love Attack on Titan. I love the manga. But it's like, I'm not going to go out there and, like, spoil the people who are watching. They're already watching by anime first. Like, our buddy Mondo, he watches the anime itself. And I'm like, I'm not going to spoil it for him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm not going to be that guy that goes, I'm like, hey, you know, this had this person, this person, that person. It happens to them. And, like, I don't want to spoil it. Because it's like, if people don't pick up the manga, it's like, they, they, they get their instruction anime. But I feel like... When it comes to anime, guys, it's cool just to watch. But sometimes if you want more in-depth stories and more background of characters, I do suggest picking up the manga because you never know. Because sometimes they'll adapt certain things for the anime. Or, like I said, either they abridge it or they pretty much cut it off on particularly. I think right now with one anime that I've not seen so far, it's based on a manga called The Promise of Neverland. Apparently, um, with the newest season, a lot of people are... are a lot of fans are checked off. People who read the manga are checked off because I guess the anime skipped the whole arc. Which was really de- popularizing the manga. And like people against it, like they were really pissed off. Like I said, I have not even watched the last Attack Time, I haven't got back to it yet. But I will eventually go back and Attack Time and rewatch it probably for the beginning of the anime just to get myself set up. So right now I'm barely on volume 30 of the manga, so I still, get, I still need to get the other three volumes still to be cut up to everybody. Because like I said, 34 is going to come out to October here. But I think right now with Shonen Jump, you can 
what it, what's cool about it is now when they release a new chapter in Japan, they magically translate it if you subscribe to like their digital service. So you can read the chapters in real time in Japan, which is kind of cool. But with me, I wait until all the volumes are collected. Because mm-hmm. that way I can just read it all in one go. It's like with me, with My Hero Academia, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody. And My Hero Academia has become one of the most like popular series right now. It's like, it's more rec- it's getting recognized more as opposed to like Dragon Ball and Sailor Moon and Pokemon. Because you see that more in the stores. You see that more like in Hot Topic or Target. You see like your shirts or even the figurines and stuff. And then to the point like a lot of like, it's got mainstream. So even like, I think what was it? One wrestler I saw, um, Ricochet was his name. He was he won an event. He was wearing a, and uh, his ring gear was modeled after All Might. And right now with the new season out right now, and I saw last week's episode, which is really cool because it's showing into more of Shinzo. Um, because right now, currently right now, I just got volume 27 of the manga. And it's getting really dark. And like I said, the anime is barely catching up. Because like I said, the manga came out in 2014. The anime got adapted in 2016. And it just started its fifth season. Which right now, it's like it's going through the, the training exercises between class 1A and class 1B. Which I'm not going to spoil for you guys. But hopefully with the, man- with the anime so far. I mean, they're it's like to me, they're like... They don't show much of the matches between the two groups that much. What I do like about the anime, at least they get to expand on it. Mm-hmm. And they added more background to the characters as well, which I do like. And like I said, with My Hero Academia being world really popular because of the fact is that it's because based on going from like the... Pretty much going from like the, 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 the superhero phase of Marvel movies. Because I think it were for that, I don't think I would My Hero Academia probably wouldn't get that much attention here in the West. If one for its whole premise of being like a superhero esque manga, mm-hmm. but I think thanks to like you know the Marvel movies, it kind of got people's attention. And like I said, it's really popular, and like I'm really a big fan of my hero games. At the point, I got the manga, I got the like I got some shirts on the series as well. And like I said, I just wish for the games wise, the only games they made are brawler games. I just wish they made like an actual you know role like play role playing game. Yeah. Like a full fleshed out story mode and all yeah, that. like a role playing game as well. We yeah, can. It's it's, it's kind of like I understand the whole brawler thing, but I don't know. To me, it's like with brawler games. I'm not, I'm not into fighting games that much. I don't know because I got burned out from when I was a kid because of Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter and stuff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it's because of that. I got burned well, out. Well, that and like think about it. You know how like the Dragon Ball Z games, most of them are fighting games. Yeah, they're all like they're all fighters. Yeah. Like, if they were only divided, I'm sure very few RPG wanted. ones. Yeah, there's very. Yeah. Few. And I'm sure that's why they only wanted to develop those type of games for My Hero because they feel like that's the only thing that's going to sell here because those games have done so well. But I feel like, even yeah, for a property like that that's that's got a lot of popularity and a fan base, that'd be, I'm very surprised that they don't make an actual like RPG game type of deal or like a, like a, like a open world uh, like RPG as well, it's very surprising because they they have so many characters to choose from that they can like add into the game. And what I do like about at least the characters, and I like, <clears throat> I know the creator of My Hero Academia got a lot got a lot of Christmas based on the naming of the characters and the birthdays of certain characters. But think about it, there's not many fan servers like what animes and mangas use fan servers for the fans, but I there's not that much here where I do applaud because you're just here. Even the females like they're. Yeah, yeah, he got Christmas for the females because, of course, in the manga, the females are more thicker. 
not in the course in the in the anime, you know, they had to make it a little bit skinnier and stuff because of course the appeal. That's what anime studios do. But at the same time, at least they made the, the female characters, you know, strong that they're going to be heroes as well. They're not damsels in distress. They're not lovey dovey, which I do like. And you have one character like Pervy, like Mineta, but other than that, it's like. It's not as much as fan service, but it's like it kind of introduced people to other characters as well. Even like the new pro hero characters as well. Like, Miracle has become like very popular, and she only got featured a little bit in the anime. In the manga, right now, I don't want to spoil it for you guys. Um, you possibly will see, possibility to see more of her. We'll see. Um, but to a point, like, even like with anime being more mainstream now, more and more in the West, like Maggie Thee Stallion, like, she does a lot of cosplays as well. She does a lot of anime cosplays as well, and it expands the music world even to the like even into the athletic world as well. Like I think was it um one player from the Packers? I don't know if he still plays for the team anymore. He's a big anime fan. I think Crunchyroll did like a documentary on him. Oh yeah, is it because he's on the Packers? No, it's because they did like a sports guy. No, he talks probably about anime and stuff. It's like. It's becoming more and more strange. Like you say, with My Hero David, it, it kind of sucks. Like they just, they've been limited to just a brawler. But I think in Japan, they're developing like a, almost like a card battle game as well. It's like the point you get a card battle games on your mobile. See? And those are, those are fucking... And those are based on... Because they were for Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! They want to be kind of like card battle games based on their franchises too. Yeah. So it all goes back to like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! It all circles back. But I know we spend like a good hour talking about... Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! Anything you want to add, Biko? <laughs> I don't know. I just... The only thing... The only thing I've been watching is Hell's Kitchen. And, and then, like... <laughs> when we do check the news, it's just a lot of fucking... Yeah. A lot of bad stuff going on. Just a lot of shootings every day. And it's very sad. Um, it's very unfortunate that these things are occurring. Um, obviously, in the United States, it's nothing new, though. And I don't want people to become... Um, desensitized to... Every day, these things, whether it is a internal, an internal thing, or whether it is actually like these acts being made to do for public harm, like essentially terrorism, that's that's it's that's outside the point. The fact that these things do need to change, um, like the fact, like I think uh, we we're reading about the Tennessee one, and that one was, uh, or even I think it was a Nebraska one too. That was more or less. Or even when we were going to get food last night, there was a shooting in Austin, Texas, which it was in an apartment complex, and my friend lives up there, so I was like, "Oh shit!" But it happened. It was an internal thing. But unfortunately, three people passed away, including the gunman. And so, the fact that they have to say that this was an internal, this was an internal incident, and that nobody, and it wasn't to do public harm, the fact that you have to say that. So it doesn't cause mass hysteria. is It's fucking sad. It, it, it's in like, I know these things. You know, oh, this could happen every day, and it does. It does happen every day. Um, and the media does at least like when these things do occur, they do somewhat of a a pretty rapid job of informing the public whether it is getting all the information, whether it's right or not. These things do need to be reported, um, and it's just unfortunate. That that it only still continues to uh, divide the public opinion on on guns and and safety and and we don't and for some reason the the minute you bring up mental like mental health and and throwing money into these in, into these resources to help people that's that's always a thing that has to be debated 
or something that doesn't be viewed as like, oh, well, you know, we don't need to put money into that. Let's just put more money into the cop's hands. And that's not, I, I don't, I just don't believe that solves anything. I think they have proper funding. They have enough funding for that. Um, and I think it's just that they need to de- delve the funding into education. Mental, yeah, mental education, um, mental health resources and, and organizations that do every day contribute to helping others through their own means. But I think people just don't understand how important it is to assess that in the beginning as far as somebody having to go get a gun. And and then I even read another one that the the shooting in Indiana at the at, I think it was at the FedEx facility. That guy was he was a registered gun owner. So that which I know like people are gonna hold on to that, but it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't make a difference whether he was registered or not. He went in, he shot up people. He I think he did work there. So like it had to be a disgruntled employee then. Yeah, it has to be. And then we never we never bothered to see well why was he disgruntled. Maybe he was getting taken over, like taken advantage of at working for FedEx. Like these companies are always the ones that don't, you know, they never get, it's like, oh, we have to more. And yes, we must mourn for these people. But at the same time, how can nobody ever says anything to why people are driven to this point? People because it's all about, hard. it's because I think because people are having these issues because they don't have someone to reach out to or someone to talk to them and find yeah. out why, you know, I think it's all about, it's like you males. said, it's, it's like, it's like, I, it's like what you said, Biko, like there's people like that have mental health issues and sometimes they're, you know, they're closed off. They don't want help, but if, if they don't want help, but at the same time, it's like, it's almost like a little bit, they're asking for help on the inside. Mm-hmm. And some form of fashion, it's all about, yeah. it's a fashion, even though they're saying, Oh, I don't need your help, but it's almost like a cry for help. From that perspective as well. It's just, you know, not being talked to, not being educated, not being talked to and say, hey, you know, this could have been avoided if, you know, if someone reached out to him. Yeah. He reached out to that person and be like, hey, you know, what's going on? You don't have to get violent, but at least we can help you or find all the reason why your problem, why you're feeling this anger and stuff. There are sources. It's It's just having the commitment and your drive to help somebody. And it kind of brings to what Attack on Titan is, is because it's a Attack on Titan. The manga itself, it's basically um, a, a, a commentary on society, where one person is, you know, the Titans represent, you know, one belief versus the city. It's the wall of cities being another belief. It's like two beliefs, two religions almost going at each other, or it's also about isolation from the rest of the world, you know, being closed off and, you know, controlling the populace and, you know, having to believe one ideal. Yeah. In which I do appreciate the, the, the Monica for creating that thing. It's like a comment, social commentary. And like I said, because like all these things are going on, it's like, it's crazy. Um, But yeah, it <laughs> get a little dark there, but um, I do want to... Do want to mention one anime? I don't promote too much on Netflix animes, but um, this is one I guess right now uh, CBR um, posted about. Let me see if I can pull it up because it just got released on Netflix not that long ago. Let me pull it up real quick. I gotta search it. Here we go. It's a manga that came out. This is an anime right now. I was only showing a six because I think because it's very new on Netflix. Um, it's called. Uh, this is the Japanese name, so I can say I'm learning Japanese. So bear with me. It's called Gokushu Fodo, or in English terms, the way of the house husband. Um, 
It's on Netflix. Uh, they just released the first part right now. It just came out this month, actually, worldwide on Netflix. Um, and pretty much it's uh, is developed by JC Staff. The source is a manga. The genre is comedy, romance, slice of life. Um, so far, the first part finished airing, so there's a part two coming out. Um, basically, the synopsis is right now, Mal is holding a 6.9 right now on Mal, Miami list. Um, gotcha. It's called Immortal Tatsu, the legendary Yakuza who single-handedly defeated a rival gang with a lead pipe. It is a name known to strike fear in both hardened police officers and vicious criminals. Soon after his sudden disappearance, he resurfaces with a slight change of profession. Now equipped with an apron, Tatsu has given up violence and is trying to make an honest living as a house husband. While adapting to mundane household tasks, Tatsu finds that being a house husband has its own challenges. From the battlefield known as a supermarket sales to failures in the kitchen, despite living peacefully, misunderstandings seem to follow him left and right. Goku Shufudo follows a daily life on a comically serious ex-Kuza as he leaves behind his dangerous previous life to become a stay-at-home house husband. It's interesting. I, I'm probably going to watch it today. It's only like five episodes, but it's like one of those things where... With me, I'm trying to expand my anime horizons and also manga-wise. This is really interesting. Because it's one of those things where... I, that's what I do like about manga itself. It's like... The way... They take these like concepts like... What happens if a Yakuza decides to retire and decides to be a stay-at-home dad or something? And so it's kind of interesting to see. And it, I mean, that's something I think you guys should definitely check it out right now. Like I said, it... It's on Netflix right now. The first part's on Netflix, and they did announce a part two. Um, so definitely check it out. The Way of the House Husband on Netflix. Anything you want to add, Biko, before we sign off? I think we're... I don't know. I think we pretty much covered that. It was really what I wanted to talk about. Just the madness of the world. All right, guys. That will do it for the week. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Talking. Um, you can follow us also on Facebook by liking the Facebook page at facebook.com slash pop. You can check out the backlog of the episodes on Google, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and now we're also available on Audible and other podcast platforms. Well, a big shout out to all our international listeners for so much for supporting podcast itself. And I'll just let you know, I know a new updated logo shirt has been created on Spring on our Spring store. So definitely go to spring.com slash stores, type in Talk and Pop, and check out the new logo t-shirt that has been created. I actually took time to make it. And I did create a new Beagle shirt, a new franchise shirt to come along. Those will be coming soon. Um, right now, if you use the promo code Talk Pop, you can save yourself five dollars off your order at our shop. Make sure to support our podcast as well. Also, thank to Poddex for supporting our podcast, and also Anchor for being pretty much one of our launching platforms. Thank you guys so much for supporting us as well. All right, guys, that will do it for the week. We'll see you again next week. As always, geek on and take care. Hey, it's the franchise from Talking Pop with the franchise and Biko. Just letting you know, we have a storefront. It's teespring.com slash Talking Pop. We got shirts. We got tank tops for men, women, kids. We also got hoodies and sweatshirts. Um, we actually have coffee mugs and we have an iPhone case and a Samsung case with the Pops or Not logo on there. Also, we have stickers so you can put on your locker, on your laptop, wherever you want to put those stickers on there. 
So right now, if you go to teespring.com slash TalkingPop, and when you go to check out, use the promo code TalkPop and save $5 on your order. Support the podcast. As always, geek on and take care. <laughs>